Hey there, fellow clever humans. Today's topic is all about habits and habit formation, inspired by James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Isaiah Colthrust returns to the glass prism today to help me dissect the themes Clear explores in his book. We talk about why goal setting is a bad idea, how we define our identity through our habits, why many of us fall into the valley of disappointment, and how habits change and shape our lives along with it. An interlude before we start the episode, I'm sure you noticed we went silent for the Tuesday we were supposed to upload. We were working on the audio quality episode organization and some admin stuff to make these episodes better for our audience. So I hope you like how we sounded for Iman's episode about the bright and dark side of positivity two weeks ago. You can expect the audio only getting better and better with each discussion from here with our brilliant guests. Let us know if you have any suggestions on how we can improve through our socials in the link tree in the about us section. We will continue doing our very best to offer you the best quality content. Thank you again for the support throughout the launch of this podcast. Nothing motivates us more than to hear your curious ears enjoying what we make for you. And from the whole Glass Prism team, we really do appreciate every single one of you. So now, without a further ado, this is the Glass Prism Podcast. Enjoy. Isaiah, you're looking as sharp as ever, brother. How are you feeling today? <laughs> so sharp in my track pants and hoodie. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I appreciate it. I appreciate Listen, it. You look good. I just have to, you know, let the audience know about who I'm sitting across. You mm, know, is that because I'm wearing a sweater that you got me? <laughs> Could no, be. Not at all. Not at all. Maybe an subconscious bias. But mm. to be honest with you, I'm enjoying, you know, talking to you mostly because of the fact that you bring up really nice, insightful conversations all the time. But it's also because of the fact that whenever I look at you, it's like eye candy, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was this podcast. Uh, well, thank you. I'm glad you all enjoyed my last little um, addition to the podcast, I guess you could say. Um, let's hope that wasn't just a random event and that that is my baseline. We'll Listen, and all I'm saying is like, if we had a video podcast, mm. like it will be thirst traps all over. If you get a makeup person, maybe. But like, if not, like, then I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll get any good, good strap. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, James Clear, mm -hmm. Atomic Habits is the book we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. So on your YouTube channel, link in the description, by the way, you talked about the themes of the book and your thoughts about those themes. You also mentioned this was one of your favorite books, right? Mm -hmm. Today, we will explore the same themes, but discuss them in more detail. So this will help give anyone who hasn't read the book a nice summary as to what to expect if this one is in your Christmas reading list. Uh, this book is all about adopting small changes to redefine how we ch achieve our objectives in life. Mm -hmm. So it has some interesting thoughts about how we can form habits and what habits mean to us. Why are habits so important? So habits are very, very important because it is those tiny things that you do that day by day make an impact on who you are and what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So I guess a, if I can give a little example, you know, a habit that like, you know, brushing your teeth, for instance, if you brush your teeth, you know, twice a day, once in the morning, once at night, and that's your habit, you know, later down the line, your dental hygiene is going to be a lot better. If you take it from the flip side, a, a bad habit, like, I don't know, eating candy in the morning and the evening, uh, that could have a 
much more negative ripple effect. So it's those little things that you mightn't really even consider a big thing that you're doing, but that just has become a part of your day and routine is a habit and it could have such a strong impact going down in the future. Yeah. So you seem to summarize what a habit um, is and does for you if you end up like adopting really good habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of us understand or at least appreciate the power of habits. Why was this book particularly impactful? Yeah. So I think this book, at least for me, I could only speak for myself, is that it really helped make forming a habit actionable. Because a lot of people would always tell you, oh, like you need to form this habit, like, you know, time management or um, cleanliness or these kind of things, like, oh, you need to form those habits. But it's a, those are very broad and vague topics, you know, Mm -hmm. and something that the Atomic Habits book really brought out was an actionable step-by-step guide almost of how you can go about and improve those areas of your life that I really enjoyed. That's awesome, because here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going and summarizing all the different concepts, Mm -hmm. right? As mentioned, we're going to go through the themes. Mm -hmm. You're going to explain it because I'm not that good at explaining something uh, about a book that I've never read. So I'm just as clueless as everybody else here. You're the expert. I'm slightly less clueless. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. First things first. All right. What is the 1% rule? Yeah, so the 1% rule is basically if you make a tiny change or a tiny increase in your performance every day um, by just as much as 1%, you can have a massive, massive change by the time you get to the end of a year, for instance. So that 1% adds on and again and again and again and again. And eventually, and I believe at the end of the year, you'll be about 37 times better than when you started just by following that 1% increase. Yeah, and, definitely. And nodding, so I hope I got the number right. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to know, because like I imagine those who are mathematically inclined, they would be opposers to the idea that if you were to have, and we're talking about like compound performance, mm-hmm. right? Not, mm-hmm. not a a simple 1% increase so that within 100 days you increase 100%. We're talking about compound interest mm-hmm. uh, as in like from the time that you decide uh, on improving 1%, uh, that 1% following the performance of that day that you choose to improve the 1%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So each 1% increase is based on where you are that day, not where you were in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So in that case, don't don't you think it's like diabolically unhealthy to be 37 times more productive than you currently are honestly i i mean there's some element to it i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna deny i don't know how much better i can get at brushing my teeth for instance yeah uh but i think it's more so for those longer term goals or those broader plans that you have in your life Mm -hmm. where there might be something that you are trying to get into that you're just not that good at so let's say um football for instance i'm a little better than that at football like i'm not terrible uh but if i am kind of nowhere playing football or soccer and then i increase 37 times it mightn't seem like a huge increase to everybody else but to me that's going to be a massive change Mm -hmm. so that might be the difference between me never being able to like pass the ball across the field reliably to me getting it like 80 percent of the time and you know, you know, you play football or soccer, like that is a big, big change and it could really improve and have you snowball later down the line. All you have to do is start somewhere small and work your way up. And over time, this will manifest into something great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Talk to me about the plateau of latent potential. How is this linked to the 1% rule? 
Yeah, sure. So the plateau of latent potential, this is the period of time where you are putting in a bunch of effort consistently day in, day out, and you're not really seeing a massive change in your performance, but you're still doing the work, you're still doing, fighting the good fight, getting there. At some point, eventually, you're going to reach this breakthrough point, and then your progress and your performance is going to improve exponentially after that point. So that's why they call it the plateau of latent potential, because you're on this flat, flat line until eventually you hit up to those mountains. So a good example or um, yeah, a good way to visualize this is an ice cube. So if you have an ice cube that you take out of your fridge um, and you put it on a table, for instance, for a while, that ice cube is not going to turn into water. It's going to just stay there while it increases in temperature and it'll slowly and slowly, slowly but surely get there. And then it will start melting. But you don't see the ice. Uh, you don't see the ice proportionally men- melting. You know, one degree doesn't go up and then one percent of ice comes off and then so on and so forth. It all starts melting at a at a temperature point. So it's kind of like that where if the ice is you, it is working towards a change and it's staying on that same level until it reaches that special point or that breakthrough point. For the ice, it's the melting point of water. But for you, it could be um, that point where, you know, sitting down to study doesn't take as long as it used to. Or the things that you used to do are no longer as hard as they used to seem. Um, Yeah, so relative to what people are expecting, I imagine um, they're expecting a linear function in which, like, the amount of work that they get in is the same amount of outcome, mm -hmm. right? And... Uh, there is no lag to the outcome that they end up getting. Uh, obviously, anybody who's been to the gym to lose weight has noticed this like very, very starkly, the idea that regardless of how hard you work on the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth session, there's really no point in waiting on your weight to come down just like that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it eventually does, and when it really does is that it becomes very apparent that it's going down super fast when it starts Mm -hmm. going down, Mm -hmm. right? And so anybody who's tried to lose weight very quickly will notice this. And this example is perfect illustration of what you're talking about. So speaking of how habits impact you, one way is through how you progress and achieve a certain level of performance in any given goal that you have, right? So what happens to a lot of people and this is something that James Clay highlights to avoid, is we have these high lofty expectations of where we want to be with a habit. So we start work very excitedly and very motivatedly, and we work and work and work, and we put effort in, but the nature of effort and results is that the results are going to lag behind the effort. Uh, If you go to the gym and you are trying to uh, get bigger biceps or reach a new personal record in terms of deadlifting or whatever, you don't just lift once and then next thing you know, you're ready to go to the next level. It takes time. It takes time for the muscle fibers to repair themselves and for you to get stronger. So the same thing happens with effort in terms of progressing towards any life goal that you have. So what happens is people have this big expectation And then because the results lack behind, they don't see the results and they get disappointed and they enter what James Clay calls the valley of disappointment. So if this was on a graph with progress on the y-axis and time on the x-axis, they kind of dip into a slump because they decide, 
they're not really trying to go ahead with any any more of the work. So if you avoid this kind of valley of disappointment and you come out and you just keep putting in that consistent effort, your effort is going to be on a straight line in terms of time up until you reach a breakthrough point. And at this point is when you'll start seeing more exponential increases. So this breakthrough point could be um, similar to you no longer having to fight yourself to sit down and study, for instance. It's those like really it's those moments where you don't really know exactly what happened, but you just suddenly become better at the thing you're trying to, to do. So the, la- the plateau of latent potential is that period before that. And then you get a breakthrough and up and up and up from there. Have you ever experienced that in, in your own life? Like, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of examples would you bring up? Totally. So one example that I can bring up is recently, about a year ago, actually, I learned how to finally touch type. So that it's typing without looking at the keyboard. That's something I never learned growing up. Um, we didn't really have any like mandated classroom experience because of that. Uh, and it's something that I always envied because, you know, I see people in class doing it. I, and I see the value of it because there's so much faster you can, you can type. So for the first month or so, I was plugging away at it, doing it. And I really wasn't at the speed demon level that I was trying to be at anywhere near soon right so for the first month it was just struggling through but i kept pushing forward um partially because the websites i was using were pretty fun and kept going and kept going and then eventually i didn't have to consciously think about pressing the w key or pressing the q key it was just kind of coming my fingers were just going there naturally and slowly but surely so that would have been my breakthrough point and then slowly but surely it got stronger and stronger and stronger. And next thing you know, I didn't need to think about the V key or the C key until most of the keyboard I was used to, to typing with. And now, like I was even reflecting on it, I, I'm just flawlessly typing. I'm looking, out the win- I'm looking out the window. I'm, you know, watching like different things on my desk, not even looking at the keyboard, not really thinking about it. And it's just kind of become an extension of me. And I would say that is a good example of it. So if there's anyone who've who've learned how to type recently, um, there's an example for you. I feel like a lot of people would be able to resonate with that point where things just slowly and subtly get easier. It's cool that you talked about this specific example. Mm -hmm. If anybody else is interested, there's a really, really cool video on his YouTube channel on Isaiah Improves specifically about that and i think it's the most successful video that you have on your it is it is very popular in india if when i look at the analytics yeah nice it's like 80 percent people from india i'm like i'm not exactly sure why but i'll take it thanks y'all yeah yeah it's cool james clear isn't a big fan of goals Mm -hmm. right at least goal setting not Mm -hmm. goals in general but just goal setting what is the problem with goals Uh, to me i it seems very intuitive that if you wanted to achieve something you best know what it is right yeah and by setting that as a goal you know if you've achieved it and you know what to work towards so what's this problem with goal setting so i to be honest disagree with james clay on this one point uh and a few others but like this one specifically uh but i'll explain the best i can what he means by it Mm -hmm. so he thinks goal setting there's no point to it because if you consistently work, you're going to get to that point anyways. So he gives an example of a, I believe it's American football coach telling his team the exact same thing where 
it doesn't matter if you look up at the scoreboard against the other team, if they score 32, 35, whatever it may be, if you work and do your best, you're going to get to where you need to be or wherever you can reach. And the scoreboard doesn't really matter. So in the same way, James Clear is saying like, you know, you looking up and being, I want to deadlift 200 pounds or whatever, doesn't really matter because if you consistently work your hardest, you will get to that or more or whatever your cap is. I think he also believes that it's restrictive in a way because if you're that football team and you're looking at the score of the other team, you're only thinking about just incrementally beating that score. If they have 32, you want 33, right? But without goals, your limits, your ceiling is pretty much gone, right? And you can achieve as much as you can and probably more than you thought you would. One of the things he yeah. mentioned was that winners and losers have the same goal. So that's mm-hmm. not what differentiates both categories of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I think I agree with you, the human element has been taken away. For example, if you were sitting um, and doing a test, uh, I've thought about this as well whenever I'm doing a test and it's it's a time crunch uh, to write all the answers and basically make sure that I'm doing it on time. Uh, whenever I look up at the clock, I would intuitively start thinking that maybe I'm wasting time looking at the clock. Uh, thinking to myself that by looking at the clock, I'm going to go and do the same thing anyways. But in fact, whenever I look at the clock, I recognize the amount of time that I have left and thereby change my behavior. So let's say within the football example, if I knew that I was, I don't know, 15 points down, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not sure if you're talking about American football here. It was American football in the example. Okay, cool. If I'm 15 points down, I know for a fact that I'm going to have to work harder, mm-hmm. right? And that might motivate me to do better. Um, that might have not been the case if I did not know what the score is. Like, what's the metric of performance here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I do agree with you. In in a lot of cases, it's, it's, uh, it's a circumstance where I do think most people should be focused more on the process, uh, but that doesn't nullify the value mm-hmm. of looking at the scoreboard or looking at how... Uh, what your progress is relative to what your goal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, like that's an important like broad note to hit on is this book, Atomic Habits, is a great book. I really enjoy the content and the knowledge that's imparted in it. But at the end of the day, it's a self-help book. And it's a self-help book written by a specific person. Nothing, the book could never be perfect for everybody. It's never going to all the words in there are not going to work for every single person. Mm -hmm. So it's important to take those bits and pieces that are important. So if you're the type of person who really gets motivated by goals and you subconsciously know not to just go for the goal, but to reach past the goal, then maybe goals are good for you. It doesn't make sense for you to throw them away. But if you're the type of person who's like, oh, I said I'll do five pushups. I'm only going to do five. Then it's a little different. An interesting point he introduces in the book is that Achieving a goal is momentary, mm-hmm. right? So it does not correct the behavior. Like, let's say I do uh, give myself a really arbitrary goal of, I don't know, cleaning up my room, mm-hmm. right? Let's say one day I do come up and clean up my whole entire room after it's been messy for like a week, right? Uh, achieving that goal won't necessarily correct for the behavior that led to the messy room in the first place, right? So the process here might have been a little bit more... Um, 
efficient. Yeah. But then again, like that depends on what the process is, right? So there are a lot of like little nuances that uh, that self-help books in general actually fall into like categorizing the information in a way that's very easy to consume. Mm-hmm. But then like you always find ways to like pick holes in it. Always, yeah. But then again, this is a really, really good book for ho- whoever is mm-hmm. is looking for a really nice self-help book that will help them uh, um, like create habits for themselves and and achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the quotes from the from the book that I really liked was: "The purpose of setting goals is to win the game. The purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game." Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, I think it's a it's a really nice way of putting it. Right. But if your goal was to win the game in the first place, there's no reason reason to keep playing. Yeah, it's like if you're a competition, you know, if you're in a team or a, a bodybuilding competition and you want to just win the competition, sure. Uh, but I think it's it, there's a difference between winning a competition and being a competitor, like a lifelong athlete, for instance. So I, I guess to use your example of the room, like you can easily tweak that goal to make it in line with systems. So you could have the goal of cleaning your room or you could have the goal of keeping your room tidy. And that sets you up for systems because it makes you start thinking of ways to never let your room get into a state where it needs to be cleaned. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's a really nice way of putting it into perspective that like the the quality of goals matters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that he said that particularly resonated with me regarding goals is that if your goal is to be a doctor, for example, you're going to be restricting happiness up to the point that you become a doctor. So the idea is that like, if your goal is long-term without no short-term objectives that you can like give yourself um, the opportunity to be happy about, you won't feel like you're achieving much up to the point where you actually achieve that long-term goal and that might affect your motivation, mm-hmm. right? And uh, what are your thoughts about that, by the way? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with him. And it's also, you know, in the case of becoming a doctor, I know there's a lot of people who spend this time, this effort, this money, um, years and years and thousands and thousands of dollars to become something like that. And then when they reach the goal, it's not only that it's a momentary enjoyment. Sometimes the enjoyment isn't even there. They don't even like being a doctor. And then like, that's a whole, you know, dynamic shift or thing they need to think about. So yeah, definitely you got to be careful when it comes to your goals, especially if they're long and spanning many, many years. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't agree more with what James Clay has to say there. Um, he associates the concept of identity with habit formation Mm -hmm. and um, mentions that what makes us who we are is the habits that we have in our daily lives. So if you wanted to evaluate what type of person you are, all you have to do is just sit back and think to yourself like, okay, what kind of things do I do on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. right? But he also mentions uh, that uh, you can change your identity through habits, uh, do you want to expand on that? Because I haven't read the book. I want to know. Yeah, what your yeah no are. worries. So I guess to explain this point, I will use one of my favorite quotes from that he says from the book is everything that you do is a vote towards the type of person you want to become. Is that like word for word? Like I believe so. Yeah, I, I've, nice. I, I had it on my wall for a period of a couple months. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Man. Yeah. Um, man came prepared. I, I'm telling you, I'm the most slightly organized <laughs> James Clare fan. Uh, but 
what that basically means is the things that you do shape your identity in a way that is inseparably linked because the type of person you are, you'll do different things, right? So what James Clare says is you don't want to just focus on the habit. You don't want to just focus on the doing the thing. You want to focus on becoming that person who does the thing. So instead of being someone who, um, let's take it from a negative. So if you're a smoker and you constantly think, oh, I'm a smoker, like it is what it is, you are more likely to, to smoke a cigarette, right? But if you start thinking, I do not smoke, or I'm not the person who needs to smoke, you are a little less likely to do it. And then when you make positive choices, like, like saying, you know, say you normally go for a lunchtime smoke and you don't, that is a vote and something that like is a positive feedback for your brain to say, oh, I guess I, I'm not a smoker. And it only comes with multiple iterations of those votes for the person you want to become where it creates all this positive feedback loop where you're voting for the person you want to become. And because of that vote, you become a little bit more of the person. And because of that, you do the thing less. And it keeps going and going and going until your identity embodies where you want to be. That's a really nice psychological cheat code Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. basically allowing yourself to identify with the actions that you want to do Mm -hmm. and say to yourself, that's not the type of things that I want to do. I want to do all the good habits that I identify myself with. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's... That's a really, really nice way of putting it. I, I, I think it works as well. Like intuitively, I've, I've seen it work for myself. Uh, I could definitely say that. Yeah, genius for coming up with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, James Kerr, cool guy. Um, <laughs> Do you I, know him? <laughs> no, not at all. I wish. I wish. It's but, a cool guy. Yeah, I would say like to make it a little more actionable for like people our age, mm-hmm. like. If you are trying to become a better student, it's not just so what I said was kind of vague about the identity and stuff, but it's really just about being aware of the things you're doing and understanding that when you do bad things, you're voting against it. And when you do good things, you're voting for it. So if you're trying to do better in your studies, just keep that in mind as you want to be a person who cares about their studies, for instance. And then anytime that you do something for or against it, you just rank it in your mind. Um, so if you're about to pick up the TV remote, you consciously rank it. This is not helping my studies. You can still watch the TV, but you need to put that in your mind. And vice versa for when you pick up a textbook and start reading it. So, yeah. We talked about the beneficial outcomes of having some good habits. We slightly touched upon the strategies of forming these habits. Mm-hmm. I want to go into... Uh, how do you make these habits in the first place? Because we know if habits define us, mm-hmm. our identity, and uh, they work better than goals, and uh, at least according to James Clear, and uh, we also see an exponential rise in the outcomes uh, after forming these habits over time, how do you form these habits? So the keys when it comes to forming habits is understanding how you get into a state where you do certain things. So habits have about four different steps that come with it. It goes cue, craving, the response that you take, and the reward. So the cue is the thing that you might see that gets you to do the thing. So say it's eating, right? Say you see a really nice croissant. That would be your cue. Then the craving is, ooh, I want to eat that croissant. The response might be you buying it, and the reward is the feeling of you eating it, the taste of it. So... 
now that you understand like, oh, that was how you make actions, that is also how habits are formed. You know, you your cue in the morning might be, oh, my breath smells bad or like my my mouth feels weird. Then I crave the feeling of it being clean. Your response is to brush your teeth and the reward is that clean feeling. So when you understand how habits are formed and that's the kind of step-by-step process, then you can start tweaking different elements of it. He has four laws in his book called, um, and I hope I'm not like saying too many lists of things, but his four laws are you want to make the habit easy, obvious, attractive. Yeah, easy, obvious, attractive, and satisfying. Those are the four um, tips you want to do. So for easy... Four marks on that one. Oh, thank you, man. I, you helped me a little bit, but <laughs> thank you. All right, they don't know that. I'm cutting that <laughs> Oh, okay, out. okay. Yeah, well, I'll take full marks. Thank you. So easy, you want to make it as, you know... I'm trying not to describe it. So the first law is to make it easy. You want to put little, as little barriers between you doing the habit and the habit getting done. I have a wonderful quote specifically about the easy part. Go for it. That is the most powerful force Mm -hmm. in the universe is friction. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So that puts things into perspective. It's a little bit harder to form that habit. Then you will know that like the more obstacles that you have in the way of forming that habit, mm-hmm. the harder that it's going to be to, to integrate it into your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought that was a wonderful, like, you know, association between what you just mentioned there. Definitely. Definitely. So, and, and just to clarify, like what you mean by friction is any resistance or force around you that is preventing you from moving forward, moving towards that habit. So one way you could do that is to make your habit tiny. So uh, what's a good, what's another good habit or a common habit people have? Uh, exercising. Yeah. So, okay. So say you're exercising. Uh, at least to start, what James Clear says is you want to keep it as easy as possible. So two minutes of exercising and you call it a day and that's a success. And two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Just really? two minutes. Okay. Right. And you can build on that and build on that and build on that. And, you know, at the end of a month, if you do two minutes every day, that's 60 minutes of exercise. So that's a full hour. A lot of times people start real, real fast and do like three days and then never exercise again for the month. So it's more about building the habit first. And then afterwards, you can start experimenting with three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. It's about the long game is what James Clay is all about, right? So this isn't going to be an overnight thing, uh, but it's more about building that routine. And in those days when you're doing your two minutes, you can make things easier for yourself. So if you're exercising, you can, the night before um, you go to bed, you take out your exercise clothes. So when you wake up, it's easy to put them on and get out for that morning run. Or you download, for instance, a fitness app that gives you a reminder of exercises to do so you don't have to stand up and think oh like do i want to do push-ups or squats today it just tells you immediately those steps might feel tiny but they really have a long-term impact because there's going to be a point where your motivation runs out and it just ends up becoming oh am i going to do this thing and sometimes those friction pieces push it over the edge and you don't end up doing it because of it. It's nice how the action transmutates into discipline mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. when the actions are in like, you know, snack sized bits that you can come and do pretty easily. Because mm-hmm. even that uh, prolongs the motivation. But once the motivation is gone, by that time already, you've ha- you've had 
um, cumulatively mm-hmm. a very, very uh, respectable amount of progress. So, so when you say obvious, yeah, right. What do you mean by making it obvious? So the best way I can put it, um, at least what I've seen in my life, is just making it so that you can never forget that you're doing the thing or you're moving towards that habit that you're trying to build. So one example he gives is if you're trying to learn an instrument, right? A lot of people, they have the instrument in their closet or behind them or wherever it might be in their room. What he says is bring it right next to your desk where you sit and just put it right there. there it, therefore, it's obvious. You can only... If you look around your room, it's the most prominent thing. You can only see it right there. And it's going to prompt you to just pick it up whenever. So that's the obvious portion about it. And this could be as simple as like you literally word for word write out what you're trying to achieve on a sticky note and put it on the board. Or it could be something that represents it, like putting your guitar in the middle of the room. So that that's what obvious means in terms of James Clear stuff. As for attractive, mm-hmm. uh, I think we touched upon it slightly mm-hmm. uh, how do you make a habit attractive because now that we've talked about it being obvious you know like it's right there we mm-hmm. know that it's easy so like it's reachable but i assume anything that is hard to achieve would not necessarily be the most uh, attractive process mm-hmm. for example let's say give me give me a goal of yours that that you would like to achieve by the end of the year for example okay by by next year <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to meditate more. I'd like to meditate more is a goal. Okay, that's yeah. a perfect one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say if I wanted to meditate, right? Like I put the yoga mat right next to me mm-hmm. that makes it obvious, you know, I make it easy for myself. Uh, I don't think there is much difficulty in starting a meditation mm-hmm. session. Uh, but but if you say two minutes, that's fine. Like you can never really talk yourself down from two minutes of meditation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in terms of attractiveness, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to start meditating mm-hmm. and at some point I, I might not want to uh, do it mm-hmm. for so many reasons that are going on in my life. I might be too busy to, to even start. Uh, what makes meditating more attractive? Yeah. So in terms of meditating and a bunch of other things, you have to do some kind of like psychological tweaking in terms of your, your brain. So you're going to start pairing the habit that you, you know, that you need to do that is more of a necessity with things that you like doing so say uh, i don't know if you're a big sweet tooth for us but if you um like candy for instance uh or maybe candy is not a good example maybe you you like watching a tv show right you're going to pair that habit of meditating and after you successfully completed your two minutes you're then going to watch however much time you deem is appropriate of your tv show and then your brain starts thinking oh if I do this thing, I get what I want, and therefore it's attractive. Isn't there a domain of abuse here? Like, let's say if I just end up like meditating for two minutes, and then I go like, you know what, I I deserve a break. Um, I'm gonna go and uh, I don't know, watch my TV show for the next four hours. Yeah. So I think there's two kind of fail safes in this. Is one you want to set it up so that it is a clear and appropriate uh, reward, right? So when you meditate, you can write down somewhere like when I meditate for two minutes, I will watch TV for 15 minutes. Right. So in your nice, sane, calm state of mind, you set up the the rules, the goals of it. Another way to do it is to make sure your reward doesn't uh, counteract the thing that you're trying to do. 
like exercising and then coming back for a milkshake. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the reason I, I said watching the TV show is presumably your reason for meditating is to relieve stress, right? Mm-hmm. Watching your TV show also does that goal of relieving stress. So there's no real uh, crossing of the wires here. You're doing meditation for the same reason as watching the TV. So theoretically speaking, there's no negative downside of watching the TV. Now, if you want it to be more productive, that's a different thing. Uh, and you might want to retweak it to something else. But yeah. To tie the bow on this mm-hmm. conversation, I wanted to ask you, uh, ever since you've read that book, mm-hmm. has there been any tangible differences in your life, like in, in terms of applying some of the stuff that you've read? Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds cliche because it is like literally the whole purpose of the book, but it's made making habits a lot more e- easy. And I think when it comes to when it comes to doing anything that is like a big thing like you're worried about, when it's broken down so step by step, piece by piece, you can understand all the topics in bite-sized portions, then it becomes like, oh, then why am I not doing it? You know? So uh, a recent habit that I've been trying to start up. I'm trying to think of my habit tracker sheet on my on my wall. So yeah, one that I'm doing is See, that's a very tangible one. Like you have a track. Yeah, tracker yeah. Sheet. Well, there you go. Um, because of James Clay, I got a habit tracker, and this actually plays into his last, um, his last law, which is make it satisfying. Uh, because you so a habit tracker for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically a grid of squares that represent the days in the month or the week that you're trying to get the habit done, and you tick off the habit when you've done it, and you put an X when you haven't. And the habit tracker makes it satisfying because for some reason, it must be psychological, some deep uh, lizard brain thing where it's when I tick that box and I can see it on the paper of I did this today, it just feels so much better. And because of it, I want to chase that feeling again and again and again. So a habit tracker is one thing I wouldn't have gotten. And it also gives you like a lot of empirical evidence to be like, oh, I've done this seven days out of the week or seven days for the month or whatever. And then you could readjust. I think a lot of the benefit from this book for me has been on a mindset level of understanding how my brain works. Uh, Well, and I assume everybody else's as well. And seeing how I can almost trick it to my advantage to get where I want to be. You're Facebooking your own brain. Yeah, I'm metaing my own brain. (laughs) (laughs) Use the right name, man. Okay, Isaiah, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Where can people find you? What what are your handles? Sure. Uh, um, People can find me, I believe, at Isaiah Improves on Instagram. And the same thing on my YouTube. So I-S-A-I-A-H Improves on YouTube. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, my name is Isaiah Colthrust. Awesome. Awesome. You know, a joke came to mind whenever we were talking about the uh, habit tracker. I was thinking like it must be goal setting in a sheep's costume because it sounds like a uh, it sounds like something that you are genuinely setting up goals for. And uh, yeah, might have gotten James Clear's goal setting senses tingling. (laughs) Maybe maybe he might be a little (laughs) upset, but we'll see. Yeah, but I everybody does what uh, works for them right like i'm pretty sure he's i don't know we're speculating this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like who are these two college students i don't know i don't know these people yeah um, but i'm i'm pretty sure um the the purpose of writing this book even even for him was 
to help people just mm-hmm. make better choices about making their habits better and improving their life quality in general. So mm-hmm. yeah, but this was a wonderful conversation, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, see you in two weeks time. Ciao. Take care.